Uh, the first reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 to 35, which is on page 844 of the Bibles. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, to chapter 5, verse 2, and can be found on page 1008 in the Bibles. <clears throat> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building, up, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Back. Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you. Um, next week, we're going to start a nine-week series in the book of Job. So uh, you can grab a book tonight if you want to start to read Job in preparation for that. So tonight, we've got a, a one-off sermon, and I'm going to speak again on the topic of forgiveness, because I think it's really important. Uh, not so much about God's forgiveness towards us, although I will touch on that, but more about uh, the way that we're called to forgive other people. The way we're called to forgive those who have hurt us, those who have harmed us, to forgive those who have wronged us, to forgive those who have wounded us. It's a difficult per- uh, sermon to preach and difficult to hear. C.S. Lewis said this, uh, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I love that quote. He's saying, when you know the extravagant, lavish, undeserved forgiveness of God, it equips you, it enables you to learn to forgive your brother or sister. It's what Ephesians 4 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the model. You've been forgiven by Jesus. So learn to forgive each other and be kind and be compassionate and get rid of your grudges and get rid of your hurts. And it sounds easy, but let's be honest, it's really hard, isn't it? It is really, really difficult to forgive the person who's wounded you so badly. It is so hard to forgive that person who has hurt you. And C.S. Lewis knows that because he follows on that quote by saying this, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And that's the tension, isn't it? We, we know that we should forgive, but we find it hard to forgive. We know that the Bible says that if we're a Christian, then forgiveness should flow from us. But actually doing it, that takes a work of the Spirit. I hope that all of us here knows that We all need the forgiveness of other people. Every person in this room has wronged somebody or hurt somebody and we all need to experience forgiveness from other people, don't we? And I hope that we know what happens when we withhold forgiveness, what lack of forgiveness breeds. It breeds bitterness. It breeds anger. Holding on to hurts is ugly. And I do hope that we've experienced the the freedom and the liberation and the healing that comes when you learn to forgive. And we know all that up here, but it's still hard when you're confronted with the person and the individual who's wounded you to actually say the words, I forgive you. Because everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone or something to forgive. There's a line in the the Lord's Prayer which I, I find hard to say. It says, uh, forgive us our sins. What's the next bit? 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I wish that bit wasn't in the Lord's Prayer. It's like the word must in Colossians chapter 3. Forgive one another, says Paul. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Let me ask you, why, why do you find it hard to forgive somebody? I think we find it hard because the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, the society around us says it's okay to hold on to hurts. It's okay to seek revenge. It's good, it's right, it's proper to retaliate. In the book I read, it said this, you don't need to forgive. Learn the new cry, I am the victim. It's not my fault, my parents did this to me. It's hard because of the world that we live in, but it's particularly hard because of our own feelings because I know that many of you are sitting here tonight and you've been deeply wounded, deeply hurt, in deep pain because someone, a loved one perhaps, your parents, the closest of friends, even this church, they've wronged you and they've hurt you. And it's hard to forgive. That's why Matthew 18 is so confronting. Turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. It's challenging. The context here is a brother or sister, verse 15, who sins. And if they won't repent, it's really straightforward. Verse 17, you treat them as an unbeliever. And I reckon for most of us, that's the easy bit. You know, we secretly hope that people don't repent because it's easier that way. But what happens when they do repent? What happens when they say sorry? Now, please hear this rightly. I'm not talking about someone who doesn't change. I'm not talking about repeated patterns of abusive behavior. But what happens, say, if, if I wrong you, and I come to you and I say, I'm really sorry I did that, and in my heart, I do want to change. And you say, I forgive you. And a month later, I do it again. But I'm sorry again, I do want to change. And you say, I forgive you, and I do it again and again and again. That's the context. And Peter asked in verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Once, twice, three times. That was the limit of the rabbis, three times. And I think Peter thinks he's being generous in verse 21. Up to seven times he says, wow, that would be generous. Look what Jesus says in verse 22. I tell you not seven times, Peter. But 77 times, or 70 times, seven times, literally. And that's not a mathematical number. Jesus is saying it's a number of completion. It's ongoing forgiveness. It's constant forgiveness again and again and again. You keep on forgiving someone. And that phrase, 70 times 7 or 77, is actually found in Genesis. Remember when Cain killed his brother Abel and, and, and Lamech sought revenge on Cain. It says this, if Cain is avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 70 times seven. So the context of that word 77 is actually one of retaliation and revenge. You know, you hit me, I'll hit you back. You do me wrong, I'll do wrong back to you. That's the context. Keep on doing wrong, keep on seeking revenge. And Jesus takes that number 77 and he turns it on its head and says, no, 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 if you're my follower, it's not about revenge, it's about forgiveness. 
If you trust in me, get rid of talk of retaliation and start to talk about forgiveness. It's a crazy parable. Verses 23 to 27 are all about extravagant forgiveness. Extravagant, unfathomable forgiveness. Verse 23, there's a king who is on his throne and there's a man who owes him a debt. Verse 24, the debt is 10,000 bags of gold. And just so you understand it, that, that amount of money is more than the total amount of money in circulation at that time. It's an astronomical debt that he could never pay. He owes trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And you're supposed to imagine this man who is before the king and he's thinking, okay, how can I repay this debt? Maybe I could do monthly installments. Oh, let me do the sums. Oh, no, no, no. That would be a trillion dollars a month. I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't pay it. So the man does the only thing left to do in verse 26. He begs for mercy. Be patient with me, he says. And I'll pay back everything. Dream on. He can't do that. Verse 27 is an extraordinary verse. The servant's master, the king, who's owed this massive amount of money, look at these next words, took pity on him, showed mercy to him, and wiped the debt away, cancelled the debt, it's gone, and let the man go free, debt free. Let me ask you, if you were that man, how would you leave the palace that night? Your debt's been wiped clean, you're fully forgiven. Nothing to pay. I think I'd be singing, my debt is paid, it's paid in full. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But I call verses 28 to 35 extraordinary unforgiveness. This is the shock in this parable. The man who has been forgiven so much is unwilling to forgive his fellow servant. Verse 28, he bumps into another servant who owed him just a hundred silver coins. Now that's not trivial, that's about a hundred days wages, it's a big debt. But this man has just been forgiven a million times more. And you expect him to say, okay, I've been forgiven lots, so of course I can forgive little. But he doesn't. Verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he said. And so the second servant does exactly the same as the first servant did. He falls on his knees and he begs, be patient with me. And you think, verse 29, it's exactly the same as verse 26, exactly the same words. And you think when he heard the words, be patient with me, he'd be reminded of how much he'd been forgiven. But he doesn't. Verse 30, he refused. He withheld forgiveness. Scandalous, isn't it? Now, how do you want the parable to end? I want the parable to end with the first man coming to his senses and realizing that if he has been forgiven an astronomical amount, of course he can learn to forgive a small amount. But he doesn't. Verse 31, they were outraged, rightly so, 
And the king says, verse 30, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you just begged me. You didn't pay a cent. Now, shouldn't you have had mercy? Of course he should. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Verse 35 is the hard verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Not just superficial, not just outward, but genuine heartfelt forgiveness. I told you it's a hard parable. It's exactly the same as Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Now, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And he goes on to say in verses 14 to 15 of chapter 6, if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive people, if you don't forgive people, your Father in heaven will not forgive your wrongdoing. That's uncomfortable. Like, Forgiveness is conditional on you forgiving others. That's the parable. What Jesus is saying here is that forgiving your brother or sister or forgiving another person is not an optional extra if you claim to be a Christian. It's essential. If grace has flown flowed down from God to you, how can you stop that grace from flowing to somebody else? So what is forgiveness? Here's my definition. Forgiveness is a verbally declared and personally given promise that affirms that though I have been offended, I have been hurt, I've been wounded, there's no anger, no hatred, no bitterness, no desire for vengeance and no retaliation. And that verbal declaration is matched in actions. Not just words, but in deed. Let me say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not approving of the sin. When someone has wronged you, you don't just sweep it under the carpet and say it's no big deal. Of course it's a big deal. Don't pretend it never happened. It's not the absence of anger. The Bible does talk about righteous anger. When you have been wronged, when you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, it's okay to feel that. And it's not forgetting. I hate that phrase, forgive and forget. You know, if you have been lied to or slandered or abused, how can you forget that? But you can learn to forgive it. It's not being naive. It's not putting yourself in harm's way again and again and again, hoping someone will change. And it's not the absence of consequences. It's always consequences for wrongdoing. Justice needs to be done. So what is forgiveness? Look what the Bible says. Romans 12, verse 19, you resist all thoughts of revenge towards that person. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15, you don't return evil for evil. It's not payback. It gets harder in Luke chapter 6. You wish them well. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who mistreat you. Proverbs 24 talks about when your enemy is in crisis, you grieve for them and with them. You pray for them. Romans 12, you seek reconciliation as far as it depends on you. You're willing 
you're willing for that. And you come to their aid in distress. That is forgiveness. It is radical and it is hard. So how do you do it? If I just said tonight, oh, you know, you must forgive, you'd say, I know I must, but I can't. How do you do it? It sounds predictable, it sounds naive, but the answer really is the gospel. The answer is the gospel that you can learn to forgive because God has first forgiven you. You can learn to forgive another person because you've experienced and you've understood the extravagant forgiveness from God. You've empowered by that same spirit to learn to forgive other people. I said, knowing the extravagant forgiveness of God, it flows to extending forgiveness to others. Let me ask you, do you know the extravagant forgiveness of God? Do you personally know how much you have been forgiven by God himself? Have you experienced that? Do you know that before a holy God, you are primarily the offender? Do you know that actually in Matthew chapter 18, you are that man with the the 10,000 bags of gold before the king, before the king of the universe? Do you know that there's nothing you can do before a holy God to pay back your debts? Do you know it's free forgiveness from God? If you understood that every single day you live in God's world and you ignore him and you hurt him and you offend him, you don't love your neighbours yourself. That is the gospel that, that God has fully forgiven you in Christ. Do you know that forgiveness is part of the character of God, that he is compassionate, he is gracious, he is kind? If you understood that, as Isaiah 1 says, that though your sins are like scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. Isaiah 55 verse 7, Return to the Lord so that the Lord may have compassion on you and to your God for he freely forgives. Have you experienced that about God? He's freely forgiven you. It was costly, wasn't it? What did it cost God to forgive you? Now if you've been here in this building 4,000 years ago, wanting forgiveness before a holy God, you would not be sitting in a nice church building with nice carpet and nice chairs and nice aroma. You'd come to church tonight with a bull or a goat or a lamb or a pigeon or something and you'd be slaughtering that animal and you'd be smelling the stench of blood in this room tonight because blood needs to be shed for forgiveness to be won. Blood needs to be shed for forgiveness to be won. It's costly forgiveness. But 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless man, he went to an old wooden cross and it was costly and blood was shed, wasn't it? The blood of Jesus was shed for you once and for all so that you can be forgiven. Yes, your debt is massive. Now what have you paid to pay off that debt? And the answer is nothing. You've just asked for forgiveness and God freely forgives you. And I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've experienced the the joy and the wonder of saying, I am forgiven by my God and I've done nothing to deserve that. When we sing, you know, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. My debt is paid, is paid in full. And if you're really a true believer, each day you live in the shadow of the cross saying, I'm fully forgiven. 
Wow. I don't know. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never experienced God's forgiveness, God's pardon, God's love, God's compassion. You just have to ask. You just have to do verse 26, get on your knees and say, Lord, I need your mercy. Now, here's the difficult thing. If you've grasped that, if you've experienced that, if you know that, the Bible does say it needs to flow to others. You need to learn to extend forgiveness to others. And I say the word learn because it's not easy. Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Luke chapter 17, here it is. If your brother sins, rebuke him, correct him. It's wrong. Don't brush it under the carpet. And if he repents, then forgive him. I'll come on to that in a minute, repentance. But stick with me. Learning to forgive others is an essential part of being a Christian. Corrie Ten Boom says this. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Not the feeling, act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. You may not feel like forgiving them. You may be cold in your heart towards them, but in your mind and in your will, you can learn to forgive. And I've used it many times. I'm going to read the story again tonight because it's so powerful. You know Corrie Ten Boom's story. She's a prisoner of war in a concentration camp. And when she's released, she, she, her, her ministry is to preach about forgiveness and preach about God's love. This is her story. Quote, it was in church in Munich I first saw him. A boarding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat and a brown felt hat clutched beneath his hands. It's 1947, and I just preach a message that God truly forgives. And then I saw him walking towards me. One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat. The next I saw the blue uniform and visored cap. He was my captor. Came back with such a rush. The huge room with harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now here he was in front of me, a hand thrust out. A fine message, he said. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there, but since that day, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Fraulein, he said, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven by my God, but I could not forgive him. My sister, Betsy, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It couldn't have been more than a few seconds that he stood there but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I had to do it, I knew that. 
The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And still I stood, a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness, he says, is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And so I pray silently to God, God, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that. But Lord, will you supply the feeling? And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I cried, I forgive you, my brother, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. And I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Now, that is the power of the gospel, isn't it? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can enable someone to forgive like that. If they're repentant, if they have genuinely changed, well, God has forgiven them. So who are we to withhold forgiveness? Do you think we're bigger than God? And I say, if, if, who's the person where you dread spotting them across the room because you know that you haven't forgiven them? I do love my wife. On Friday night, it was about 10 o'clock, she said to me, Paul, you're preaching on forgiveness on the weekend, aren't you? I said, yeah. She said, Paul, have you really forgiven that person and named that person? And she was right, I hadn't. So I spent the last 24 hours wrestling with how to forgive somebody. And I have forgiven them now. I'm willing to forgive them. But what if they keep on hurting me, you say? And Jesus says, 70 times 7, keep on forgiving. As long as they keep asking and keep on repenting, we to learn to keep on forgiving. As I say, we, we don't be naive. Please don't put yourself in harm's way. But if they repent, learn to forgive. What if they haven't repented? Well, Luke chapter 17 seems to suggest that, that full forgiveness is only possible if they really repent. Don't confuse reconciliation and forgiveness, though. Now, to be truly reconciled, you need repentance. But but you can, be learn, you can learn to be willing to forgive them in your own heart so that if and when they do ask, you've done that hard work already. You've got rid of the bitterness. You've got rid of the hurts. You've handed over the anger to God. What's at stake if you don't forgive? And the answer is bitterness, anger, an irritable soul. Someone described lack of forgiveness like a like picking at an open wound. And you keep picking, you keep scratching, and it keeps on hurting more. It, it stops it from healing. It gets infectious. I've experienced that. But when you learn to forgive, there's liberation, there's healing, there is freedom. So how do you do it? I love the fact in the Bible there are over 75 word pictures of how God forgives us. 
So I'll share just a few. In the Bible, it talks about how God takes your debts and over it, he stamps the word paid in full, cancelled, nothing more to pay. So maybe do that tonight. Go home, get a piece of paper, write down what they did, who did it, when they did it. And in your mind, go cancelled, forgiven, and screw it up and chuck it away. Another great picture from the Bible is, is it the picture of, of a clay pot that's been smashed so you can't put it back together again. So, so do that. Go to Vinny's and buy a cheap $2 clay pot and with a, a permanent marker pen, write on it who did what, when they did it, what they said, and get a hammer and smash it so it's gone. You can't put it back together again. In the Bible it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sins from us. He says, you can't take them back anymore so so maybe go and buy a helium balloon and uh, again with a, a permanent marker pen write on it who did it what they said when they said it and let go let it go well my favorite is, is when God says that he throws our sins to the bottom of the ocean and he'll often find me down the harbor and I get a rock or I get a pebble and I write on it what this person said or what they did or when they did it and I just hurl it into the ocean and it's gone. I can't take it back again. And trust me, when you do that, you will experience peace and freedom. I'm going to end by quoting two very different people who say the same thing. About to quote Charles Spurgeon and Joyce Meyer. But they say the same thing. Joyce says this. Who are you helping most when you forgive the person who really hurt you? Actually, you're helping yourself more than the other person. I always looked at forgiving people who hurt me as being really hard. I thought it seemed so unfair that they receive forgiveness and I get hurt. I get the pain and they get the freedom without having to pay for the pain they caused. But now I realize that I'm helping myself when I choose to forgive because I'm freed from my pain. And Charles Spurgeon says the same thing. To be forgiven by God is sweetness. Such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison. And yet there is one thing sweeter still and that is to forgive another person. As it's more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive another Rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. That is right. It's good to be forgiven by somebody, but to forgive another, wow. And so maybe you are here tonight and you're still in act two of the parable that instead of your mind being filled with the 10,000 bags of gold that you have been forgiven, you are fixated on these, these hundred silver coins. And I know it's really, really hard. Please don't mishear me. It is so hard. But learning to hand it over to God. Asking God, when you don't feel it in your heart, but asking God to say, God, give me the will. Give me the mind that I want to forgive. And Lord, would you supply that feeling of true forgiveness? Because to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable 
in you. I'm fully aware this is a difficult topic, so I'll be at the back of church tonight. If you want to talk with me, you want to pray with me, I'd love to do that with you. Let me pray. Our Father, we are amazed at your mercy, your compassion, your extravagant forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we don't deserve that, and we can't pay that. But as you say, our sins, though they are scarlet, are are now whiter than snow, and we are so thankful for that. Thankful, Lord, that we stand forgiven at the cross. But Lord, we need your help Your word is so difficult to put into practice. Lord, you you command us to forgive others and we find that really hard. And so I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. You'd equip us and empower us, especially to forgive those who have hurt us the most. May our lives, our church be a place where forgiveness flows. And we enjoy that freedom and the power and the blessing that comes from your hand in forgiving another soul. We ask that for Jesus' sake.